Hi, this is Ken Scott, and you're listening to Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another edition of Fab Four Free For All, the all-talk weekly, all-Beatles-and-related show. I think I got it all right, Tom. I think you did. Uh, I think you did, yes. Okay. Well, tonight's a really exciting night for me, and not because my wife and I are going out, but um, we, we <laughs> have a romantic. Other, I am a romantic, you know, but, but <laughs> let that be the case of some other time. Tonight's exciting for us um, because Tony? Yes. Rob? Yes, Mitchell. You guys always join me every week, right? Yes, we do. But we have a guest on the phone who never joins me, and I'm very upset that she doesn't join, join me every, every week. week. Yes, because she should. Yes. Uh, and she could, and we'd probably have a lot of fun on this show, but... We are very, very excited this week. Well, wait. Do we want to bring bring her in by doing a very lame imitation? Of, no. Of the okay. No, we don't. Because I wanted to do it. No, we're lame enough. <laughs> we, we really don't need to do that again because she's probably heard it a million no, times. Of course she has. But, uh, but seriously, folks, you're you're going to enjoy this too because, uh, as most of you know, this past week or so, a new documentary has come out, which has been. Uh, a couple of years in the making, actually, I'm sorry, 50 years in the making, but uh, a couple of years actually physically in the making. Uh, the documentary is called Good Old Frida, and it is the story of the very private person who was the secretary of the Beatles fan club and had a lot of interaction with the group, their families, and all of the inside people uh, in the Beatles camp. Frida Kelly, and we are very, very excited to be welcoming Frida to the show. So, uh, Frida, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Fab Four Free For All. Thank you very much, Rob, Mitch, and Tony. Oh, wow. She, she remembered. I remembered your name. Wow. Thank you. Tell me you, you wrote it down, didn't you? Oh, I've still got a bit of memory left. <laughs> well, thank goodness you do, because... Frida, uh, but before we do anything, though, we're looking for someone to head up a fan club. <laughs> not, I'm, for I'm our sure. show. For our show. We have three people that you'd have to write to, <laughs> and that's our parents, you know. <laughs> Um, no, we want to we wanna welcome you. We're going to get started right away because you are so busy. You have premieres to go to and all the good stuff. So we uh, are very thankful that we have a few minutes with you. We saw the movie. We're very impressed. Loved uh, it. Yeah, yeah, very, very impressed. Absolutely. Very well done by all the filmmakers and, of course, yourself. Uh, but we wanted to ask you, and it, it is in the film, but why now? Because, you know, you're the, one of the last of the Beatles family and you've never written a book. You've never done a tell-all. I'm sure you've been offered many times, but why now to tell this story? Well, as, as you quite rightly say, over the years when I closed at the fan club and left, um, I did get offers. I actually got about six, but I, I shoved them all away because I didn't really want to do anything, to be quite truthful. And I also thought there was too many books out there. Um, my son did ask me a few times, and to do something. I never got round to doing it. And when my grandson came along, I thought, you know what? I think the time is right. It's either now or never. So blame Niall. He gave me that push to do something for him. I don't think the blame is the right word. I think we should thank, <laughs> thank Niles. <laughs> thank you, Niles. When he, how old is your grandson now? You have to get this right. He's three and a quarter. A three and a quarter. Very important. <laughs> but now, now yeah, he knows that Grandma is famous, right? I like to think so. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, there's a legacy, and, and I understand that as well. I mean, uh, everybody should, in the eyes of their kids and their grandkids, you, you know, and, and feel like very special. And I'm sure he now 
I mean, not that he didn't feel special about Grandma before, oh, I but I'm sure now he's even yeah. know, happier. But you know, the, the main reason, really, you know, was to do it for him. And then I thought, well, it would be nice for the Beatles fans just to let them know what what they were like in their young day, and from another fan's point of view, and also bring the parents in because I have such great fun with them as well. And I don't think anybody really talks about the parents. Well, I knew the four sets of parents, so. Um, I'm quite happy that they're in it, you know. Oh, that is great. Let, let's take you back. Okay. Because you, you mentioned the word fan, and, yeah. and that's the most important, I think, the key to this whole documentary. Yeah. Even throughout all of your time doing the secretarial work, uh, you were a fan first. You went on a... T- well, I'm going to let you tell about how you first saw the Beatles at the Cavern on that lunch break. Yeah. Um, well, I hadn't heard of them until I started working for this firm around the corner from the Cavern. I didn't even know there was a club around the corner or that they'd done lunchtime. You couldn't <laughs> smell it from a block away, <laughs> Frida? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I didn't know what the smell was. <laughs> and then, you know, the lads from another department in this firm uh, said to me one day, you know, come on, you know, you should really see this cavern free, you know. So I went down and uh, was knocked out by what I saw. I really, you know, I mean, they were fantastic on stage. Do you know what I would wish? I would wish all the Beatles fans could see the early Beatles because they really were good. They really rocked. Um, And that was it. I was... From day one, that was it. I wanted more of that. So I found out then that they'd done, you know, one week they would do Monday, Wednesday, and uh, Friday, and then the following week they would do Tuesday and Thursday, and I thought, that's it. I'm going down. And uh, as you say, history... Uh, well, well, wait a minute. Uh, you wanted to see them a couple of times more, but how about times that <laughs> by about 180? <laughs> I mean, you saw them 180-something out of 200-something performances. That's a lot. Yeah, I must have seen them nearly 200 times. That's wow. that's a lot of times. And did you ever get back to work? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was always legging it back with that cabin smell on me. <laughs> I couldn't tell them, you know, oh, I've been to a restaurant or anything because they just knew where I'd be. After watching the film, I came away, Frida, thinking that there had to be a Beatle-type band that would name themselves That Cavern Smell. <laughs> because it just hey, you know, I tell you what, if I could bottle that, I'm sure I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> you could sell it at Beatle conventions. I'm sure you me. could. <laughs> It'd be the Cavern, but, um, the cavern Cologne, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although the cavern's not there anymore. No. Well, not the original. The, Sadly. The, there is a good replica just further up the road, and they've done a good job with that. Yeah, I was just there a couple of months ago, and I was very impressed uh, with the way it looked, and I was trying to figure out how it would have looked in 1962, and it was very... The only difference, Weird. really, is it's further, you know, it, you have to go down deeper and underground than the original cavern, because the original cavern only had 18 steps. Right. Steps oh, wow. Down, no. Yeah. But, there was no uh, way out at the back. Oh. So the Beatles had to go in and out of that way. And with all of the fans... It meant, yeah, with the fans standing there. Who were just taking up. their curlers out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Have a nice time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, most people don't realize that even back then, as fans, they were very accessible to you, weren't they? You used to call Paul and, and, and the others, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but, you know, they, they used to hang around town a lot. They used to, like, just come in and, you know, walk around town. I don't mean all four together, you know, just John would probably jump the bus because he couldn't drive that. 
Right. And uh, so if you saw one walking around, you would just go up to them and just say, you know, where are you playing tonight? Or, you know, uh, how did it go last night? At the, you know, was the certain ballroom. So and they always stopped and talked. You know, so they, there was no screamers in those days. You know, you just <laughs> walk to them and... Frida, one of the things I, I gained from watching the movie was that the Beatles didn't mind signing autographs. No. I, and I, I thought I, about A Hard Day's Night, that scene where uh, Norman shakes, basically say, sign the autographs, and they don't want to, and then they leave. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 <laughs> no, I, it it, is it's the truth. just the opposite, really. Yeah, it is the truth. You know, um, mind you, I, I was probably pestering them that, that much that they probably thought, oh, God, we'll do it, but get it off my back, you know. Well, any time they were in the office, I mean, naturally, I had loads of stuff for them to sign. So I would just, like, shove it under their nose and say, when you go into Epic, can you just take that bag in with you? Or when they were home, of course, I knew when they were always home. <laughs> you know, they, they couldn't get away from me even in their own house. You know? So I would be like, here's Frida with the bag, you know. <laughs> uh, go on, while you're watching telly, just sign a few more things. Or, or you would cut pieces of their shirt. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, what it was, was if, if they left anything behind, if they left a shirt behind for their mother to wash or something, you know, I would say, oh, give us that shirt. <laughs> oh, wait, so they gave their mother the shirt to wash, and then it, and then it, it ended ended up in the mailbox of, of a it lot of different things. As George said, what have you got in your cupboard? <laughs> <laughs> what up fun. In the cupboard. So it, in a way, the thing that struck me about the documentary, Frida, and even you know the way you're speaking about it now, is that there is such a home-spun quality. There is such a... Um, Quaint. A quaintness to how it all started. I mean a very organic way too it all seemed to come about very naturally and did it all feel sort of like a logical progression for you to kind of you know yeah things just happened I mean I didn't know the parents until I went to work for Brian Epstein oh okay um okay. I knew the four lads you know and then I got the job because I knew them right um, right Brian Epstein saw me with them all the time and then he came up to me as it says in the film you know I at a certain place they were playing and then he told me that he was going to sign other groups. And one of them was Jerry and the Pacemakers. So mm -hmm. he was going to start his own firm because he worked for his father. And right. the firm was called then NEMS Limited. And then he started a firm called NEMS Enterprises. So that's when he started the firm and he needed a secretary. So uh, he offered me the job, <laughs> lucky enough. Um, but, I did, you know, when he said, you know, are you interested, I... Say that was the Saturday night or something. So I went to see him on the Monday and decided, yeah, I'd like to do this. But I didn't tell home, as you know, in the film, because yep. my father didn't approve of the Beatles. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm sure other fathers were similar. It wasn't just my dad. I'm sure it wasn't just your dad. But now, Frida, this isn't, it's not mentioned in the film, but it's true. I mean, you were working as a secretary with Brian, but you also had fairly regular contact with all the other bands that Brian worked with as well. So you were working with... They all the time as well. I mean, it was, it was the Beatles, and then it was Jerry and the Pacemakers. Then it was um, Billy J, of course. Billy J Kramer with the Dakotas. Right, right, right. The Dakotas were a Manchester group, but they played at the Cavern before Billy. You know, they used to sing with a guy called Pete McLean and the Dakotas. Hmm. And then uh, Epi liked the Dakotas and decided to ask them would they back Billy. Then we had the Foremost. Right. Um, right. We had a, a girl singer called Scylla Black. Yeah. Sure. And then we had Tommy Quickly. Wow. 
I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. And of course, all our road managers, they were all Liverpoolians as well. What year did you officially become the secretary? 1962. Okay. Now, Ringo joined in August of 62. Yeah. But in the film, you do talk about each Beatle, and you do talk about Pete Best. And yeah, because I, I, um, I was going round or knocking around with the Beatles before Richie joined them. He right. was with a group called Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, and I used to go and see them as well, because Rory was really a good entertainer. Um, and then we won't go into... No, no, we won't. Yeah, but Pete left, and then Richie joined. No. And I think it was about two weeks into him joining. <laughs> in in the film, it says, you know, he walked in and asked me to do his mail. And you said no. <laughs> well, because, hello, you know, I'm I'm doing Epi's work in the day, and I'm doing fan club work overnight. So I didn't have time to do their own stuff that went to their homes. So when he said, you know, can you can you do my stuff? I went, no, I can't. <laughs> and I was serious. I said, like, get your mother to do it. <laughs> what to do? You know, and I just know what. But what what cracked it for me was, you know, he kept going on and on, and you know, put the sad eyes on, you know. And I went, oh, go on then. And it, when he brought, you would have had to see it. He brought, you know, about nine letters in a bag and. <laughs> You know, the other guys were getting, you know, about 200 letters to the home, and I just couldn't believe it, only got nine. So, of course, my heart melted as well, oh. and I went, you only get nine letters. I thought, oh, God love him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I said, oh, go on then, I'll, I'll show you mum what to do. And uh, so I went that night with, you know, my little bag with compliment slips and uh, handout photographs and other things, and um, went into else and... Gave me the egg and chips, and that was this. I went every weekend for years. It's a beautiful scene in the film, actually. Yeah, it's and, just uh, the same with Mimi, because Mimi lived on her own, and uh, I used to go to Mimi once a month. I used wow. to go on a Tuesday to Mimi's, and in, in the film, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Harrison, I didn't help them with the mail, because they were absolutely brilliant with it. <laughs> right, But right. They, I would go, naturally, to their house, you know, because I went out socially with them, um, but they were always in the office, well, everybody connected to people to the Beatles were in the office because they always wanted what I called handout photographs. Yeah, and I had like thousands of them. We used to order about you know ten thousand at a go. Wow. So if the parents were around town or I was going to them, I always had you know a stack of these handout photographs because people asked them, "Oh, have you got a photograph of George? Or have you got a photograph of John?" Mm-hmm. So uh, you know the lads didn't give them photographs, but I did. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What was nice, Frida, and this is interesting, you know, for years and years and years, it's been talked about so often that, you know, there's so much material was signed by Mal or Neil or something like that. But the film sort of changes your impression of that. It makes you realize a lot of those early, you know. All the early stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was. There was. I was involved. All right. I don't know what went on in Apple. (laughs) I wasn't there. I never saw it. I know where you're coming from, you know, that Mal signed it or. You know, that was Neil's and whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But no. when they were in the office, because honestly, they were in the office a hell of a lot in the beginning. Right. And I was there and did witness, you know, them signing. The, which is great. I mean, you could see that you... you I have to remember, you know, I'm a Beatle fan, you know, as you right. say in the beginning. Right. And I even done things like, you know, say some girl wrote to me and said, oh, I'm in love with Paul and can I have his autograph and everything? I'd throw the autograph book with the, you know, say she'd sent me a stamped address envelope in the cupboard. Now, 
George would come in and I would say, can you sign that book? Although she wanted Paul's. <laughs> I would get him to sign it because, you know, it might have been three weeks before I'd see Paul again. Right. Especially if right. they were on tour. So I would send that out to the girl, even though she was a Paul fan. And just to me, it was, you know what? One's better than nothing. You bet. Any beetle in a storm. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I always clicked. I always thought that way. I was like in their minds. And I used to think... You know, I'd be made up getting George Harrison, even if I fancy Paul. Sure, (laughs) sure. There was one letter I saw that you wrote back to someone and said, because you had mentioned glossy photos, the letter actually says, dear whatever, let's call her Cindy. Dear Cindy, um, no, we don't have any glossy photos. Maybe you want to talk to Beatle Monthly, but here's a piece of John's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so you felt guilty, and, you st- and, and I, I'm picturing John walking around with like a, a shirt a full of shirt, holes <laughs> because you know you felt guilty about not getting him a picture. So you felt you know you, you again you're a fan. You wanted to you yeah, knew what they were going through. Yeah, and also was to get. At least in my mind, I'd answered that letter. There was another letter left to answer. (laughs) I did want to ask you one thing, and we brought it up before. I brought it up before, and I I don't want to talk about this sacking of Pete Best. That's not where I'm going. But as a fan and seeing the Beatles with Pete Best and enjoying them, because you said you did, and then also seeing the Beatles with Ringo and enjoying them— as a a secretary, how did you handle people sending in letters about any changes? Well— Anything that came in for Pete, you know, I would give to Pete because I knew where he lived. Um, I'm still in contact with Pete. I'm actually going to see Pete play next Saturday. Give him our love. We, we, we've we all known we've, Pete for many years. So, yeah. Give and him, his give album, Heyman's Green, was very good, yep. by the way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know his brother, Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> good old Rogue. But, you know, Rogue. I went to his party when he was 50. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did the fans react uh, to the to the changes? Uh, it, naturally, around town, you had your big following for Pete, and those girls weren't happy bunnies. Um, yeah. But, you know, once Richie joined, and within a matter of weeks, everything was fine. You know, okay. And, of course, Richie did fit in extremely well. Right. Frida, in the movie, you, you, you call yourself at one point in the movie very naive, and I want to use a quote, and I want to do a follow-up on it. Yeah. You said, um, once I joined the Beatles organization, I grew up overnight in more ways than Everyone. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a very strong statement for a girl so young at that time. Well, I did. I mean, as I said, I was naive. I mean, I was into, I don't know what you call them over here, but we had the girl guides over there. I think it, you do. Girl Scouts, girl. yeah. Yeah, and I love that. You know, I'd go and camping at the weekend. And, you know, I, I mean, I was still into my music, but I, I liked the outdoor life and everything. And then once I started working full time and then going to the cavern, I mean, I just, way, you know, as I said, grew up overnight, of, you know, fancying guys, <laughs> <laughs> just normal 17 year olds. Right, right. Yeah, well, speaking about naive in a different way, you probably got more than nine letters when you gave your home address out, didn't you? No, I mean, you know, talk about naive. I think <laughs> naivety is uh, lights up on my forehead. <laughs> but you just, you know, I just didn't think, you know, because also they weren't um, famous, you know, when I took over the fan club um, from Bobby Brown. They were around town and on the outskirts, but None of us visualised what was going to happen. And then, you know, I mean, even the postman hates, didn't, well, I won't say he hated me, but he got angry with me, you know, 
because it gave him more work to do, didn't he? <laughs> and I just remember him saying, you know, you've got 200 letters here. Like, you know, how come 200 people are writing to you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, sorry. But then, I mean, <laughs> we did have to sort it out very, very quickly. It's the P.O. box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know you mentioned this in the film, Frida, but for us here in the, you know, we're based in the States. For us here in the States, the big moment is always the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. But for you in, in Liverpool at home or working with NEMS, w- was there a defining point where you saw that it, you know, oh my goodness, it went from nine letters to the van pulling up in front of the house? Yeah, well, it was definitely it was America. But we didn't know what way you were going to react um, because other artists had gone over to America and were big in England but didn't pull it off in the States. Right. So... It was going back a long time, so there was no mobile phones or anything like that to tell us what was happening in America. But the office then was in a place called Moorfields, which was just outside the city centre. And um, all, you know, we had really nice offices there. And my friend worked on the switchboard, Laurie McCaffrey. And uh, we knew Epi was going, you know, he had said he would ring on a certain date. So we were... I was like sitting on the switchboard with Lol because mm-hmm. I was, you know, her and I were the Beatles fans. The other people in the office then went, and I was saying, "Oh, oh God, I, you know, I hope they like them. I hope they like them." Mm-hmm. And then Epi came and she put on loudspeaker for me. She shouldn't have done, but she did. <laughs> so I heard him say, you know, the reaction, what was happening in America, and he was over the moon. Of course, as they were. Of course. And also the thing that I liked because he told us that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ringo was the favourite Beatle, you know, and I thought, oh, that's great, because, you know, in England, we were getting so many letters to John and so many letters to the other two, and, you know, Richie wasn't getting as much mail as them, and uh, next minute he was saying, they've gone mad on Ringo. (laughs) Yeah, there was a campaign for Ringo for president over here in 1964. (laughs) And then wasn't there also, after that, I believe there was a civic reception in Liverpool where that just went absolutely bombing as well, Well, right? It was that really, because the, you know, as I said, grew up with the lads and everything, and uh, the fame hadn't dawned on me, you know, either uh, how big they were in England, because with them coming in and then I go to, you know, say Southport or Blackpool, wherever they were playing and everything. But it was the civic reception and naturally I was there, I was uh, invited because I was classed as one of Ringo's family. Otherwise I wouldn't have got there. (laughs) And we were behind these beautiful big glass doors and then they opened the doors for the lads to go out onto the balcony with the Lord and Lady Mayoress. And, you know, I can still remember the noise that hit us of the shouts. And I thought, you know, where's all this noise coming from? And, of course, you know, I couldn't go out on the balcony, but I went to the side of another window and I looked down what was called Castle Street because our town hall faced Castle Street. And then I looked the other way to Dale Street, and it was just chocker with people and banners, and oh, it was fantastic. And that's when I, you know, I felt very proud to be working for them then. Wow. I just loved that Liverpool was finally waking up. 
Well, that's, that's I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to get hammered when I go home, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking, for those of you who don't know by now, we are talking with Freda Kelly. The, she was the secretary of the Beatles fan club. And we are going to take a quick break and be right back with Frida. Hi, everyone. Just wanted to let you know that besides Fab Four Free For All, each of the three of us are involved in our own individual projects. Mitch Axelrod's two books, Beetle Tunes, the only book about the cartoon Beatles show, and Little Billy and Baseball Bob can be found through all of your good booksellers online, including Amazon.com, or if you'd like autographed copies, contact Mitch on Facebook. And my buddy Rob Leonard has a great Beatles show that he's been doing for 20 years called Beatles Songs, and it's on every Friday night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can listen to it online. It's streaming at www.ncc.edu slash WHPC. And also look for it on TuneIn.com. And Tony Truquardo is the host of 4F, free format for free, on WCWP 88.1 on Long Island. He's on every Monday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And also at www.wcwp.org. Also available on TuneIn.com. And we are back, and we are speaking with good old Frida Kelly. And good old Frida is the title of the documentary that you will need to go see, especially after hearing this show, and we are very happy that Frida is with us. Let's continue. The Beatles now make it in America you're besieged with two to 3,000 letters a day. Yeah. And what is going through your mind now? Are you thinking you're going to need help? Or you're, you, do you think you can just handle it all in Liverpool? No. What happened was, you know, it started off with me. I took over from Bobby. Then there was me. Then we tried dividing England in half. So we had the southern secretary, who was called Bettina Rose. And we had the northern secretary, who was me. I think that lasted a couple of months. That didn't work. And then the press office helped out, and we got a name called Anne Collingham. Now, that was a made-up name. People didn't realise. They thought there was somebody called Anne Collingham, but there wasn't. <laughs> it was a bright idea of Tony Barrows. Oh, good old Tony. Yeah, so it was just, you know, because with so many girls helping, and if one left, you didn't have to change the letter head or anything, you know. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah, it was very good. But... <laughs> Uh, one of the shows that I had done with the Beatles was Jukebox Jewelry. Yes. And they wanted the three secretaries for the other panel. So they had to, you know, Tony Barrow had to produce and I'm calling him. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this girl called Mary. But I think Mary only really worked in the press office for about, I can't remember, about 10 months. Yeah. So it was then decided, you know, this, this isn't working either. Come on, Frida, you know, take it all over. Now, when they hit America and, you know, the, the mail was really, really, you know, just beyond belief. What we'd done, I got two full-time staff, but I also had a load of helpers. Richie's cousin, a, a girl called Pass, but we called her Peppy. I employed her. I employed the girls that you see in the film that I sacked. Yes, I was right. about to ask about that. Don't cross Frida. Right. Number one rule, do not cross Frida. I know. <laughs> cousin, 
John, I employed him. Uh, anybody that walked into my office, hello, you weren't allowed to sit there and do nothing. I don't mind you staying all day, as long so, as you help. Beetle or not. Those real boxy boots, don't I? But, you know, you got a free cup of tea off me. Ah, there you go. All right. Well, <laughs> Talk about slave labor. Right. Well, that, I don't know if it's slave labor, but... What, well, Billy Kinsey of the Mercy Beats... Whatever. Said something interesting. He's a guy from the Mercy Beats. He goes, you wanted to help her. Yeah. Meaning you. Right. Yeah. So you had to have some sort of niceness about you that people wanted to help you, or they just were feared of you. It's either one. You were really, either really <laughs> nice or they, you scared the crap out of them. It was nice at times. It was nice. <laughs> nice at times. <laughs> Let me ask you, when the Beatles now stopped touring in America, because they had stopped touring in the UK in 65, uh, when they stopped touring in America and then stopped touring altogether, and took six months, which was a lifetime, to record Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. What were your thoughts? I mean, how did you soothe all the fans? Because there must have been letters to you saying, are they still around? Will we get another album? What's happening? But there was, it, there was loads of ideas knocking around the office, you know, about uh, them touring and even starting again, you know, doing little tours, which Paul done in the end, you know, just rolling up. Yeah. Or telling people. Right. You know, I know one of the ideas was um, hiring a boat, playing on a boat and, you know, going up and down the Mediterranean. <laughs> that, that, that idea was kicked about. But so, they weren't doing anything for a lot of time well, while they know, were recording. Yeah, because they, they had toured for quite a long time and they went to all these cities that they didn't see really. You know, they were like put in a hotel, go on stage, back in the hotel. They might have been in the same hotel for months on end, but for what they saw of the cities that they were playing in. So, I mean, I I just don't know how they've done it when you think about it. You know, it's all right looking back in hindsight, you know. But And also they were growing up, you know, they, they were having the families, which, you know, had two small sons. And, you know, they were spending more and more time in the recording studios. And did you have to write that to the fans when you did the letters? Did you have to tell what was going on during that hiatus? Did what what I done, I used to do the newsletter in the Beatles Monthly, but I also, you asked me how I cope with all the mail. Um, we then got overseas fan club secretaries, official secretaries, in various countries in Europe, America, you know, Mauritius, uh, Argentina. Wow. And they came under my wing and in England, we also had what was called area secretaries. So I would have a secretary in each county of England. So we would try and get the kids to write to the secretary that was in nearest to them where they lived. Wow. Because also the postage, you know, our postage bill was horrendous. Um, but they got negatives. They got demo records. Um, they got the news before other people. So I would do a newsletter to them so they would have knowledge to send out to, you know, to answer the letters that they were supposed to answer, you know. Um, they got presents from the Beatles every year. Wow. So that's how we got through quite a lot of the mail. But also, I mean, I got a, a load of mail from Czechoslovakia, wow. Romania, you know, the Eastern Bloc, you know, um, Eastern Germany. And, of course, it was all in their language, which I didn't understand. I couldn't even write the envelope. I couldn't. <laughs> so what we used to do was, or I would get people to do in the office, where they lucky enough, they always put their address on the back of the envelope. I would get them to cut off that address, 
and then sellotape it onto the envelope. Oh, that's a smart yeah. idea as well, right. yeah. So we didn't have to write any envelopes. We just used to stick, stick the, the copy, you know, addressed on the envelope. And I'd say, you know what, we can't understand what these kids are saying, but they'd love a Beatle photograph. So all you have to do is put a photograph in that envelope and a compliment slip. Somebody else would write, those envelopes are full of Beatle photographs with compliment slips. Stick all those addresses on them, and then we'd send them out. Hmm. Well. You know, it was like writing to Santa Claus, I imagine, where you, someone who wanted a letter to get there from anywhere in the world could probably because just write. you know, you, you spoke in a language that I didn't know what on earth you were talking about. Right. <laughs> but you could write the Beatles, you could Liverpool, write the Beatles, England, or exactly. London, England, and it would, and it would get, get there. there. Right, exactly. Be, you got a Beatle hand out. <laughs> I should have written back then. You see, I wrote to the wrong people. <laughs> Frida, you worked very closely, obviously, with Brian. Brian was really your, your employer, and... You know, we're talking about the end of touring and the Beatles had the changes that happened when they stopped being out on the road. Going along with that, and this is kind of a multi-level kind of question, but going along with that, obviously, shortly after was Brian's passing, leading into uh, an amazing adventure for you and the Beatles, you know, Magical a Mystery magical Tour. Mystery sure. Yeah. But one thing that before, I, you know, we go to that, one thing you allude to the fact that eventually you sort of realize Brian's secret you know, and, and the mm. life. That he, did you ever let on to Brian that, you know, did you ever really have a good conversation with Brian about it and let him know? Did the guys in the band sort of express to Brian, look, we understand, it's cool, we love you, you're, you know, you are who you are? Did, no. No. Me personally, I never done that. So it was all still kind no, of because was, of the situation. Was, you know, naturally. Yeah. In the film, you know, I didn't un- I didn't understand in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. then it was explained to me in a very nice way, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then oh, yeah. I got the message, you know, in qu- very quickly. Right. Um, right. And it also answered the questions that I had in my head, but it was never, never brought up. Never addressed. Mo- I guess in a way partly because of Not the... Not when I was there. And I certainly wouldn't bring that up because yeah. he's my boss, you know, I right. wouldn't do that. Right, right. But, I mean, there must have been a personal connection to Brian, too, though, just the same way there was with the guys, in a way, I would imagine. Well, yeah. I mean, he was my boss in the day. And right. And he was Friend. a hard boss. Boss, yeah. Right. Um, but he was a good boss. But um, yeah. he was also, you know, in, in the film, I said, you know, he took me to the Empire. He didn't tell me he was taking me, but he <laughs> took me in. He, you know, he put me in a very posh box. And he also <laughs> took me out for meals and... Um, when he knew it was, you know, he's coming up for your birthday or something, he always took you out to a nice restaurant in Liverpool and right. you know, gave you a bouquet of flowers. And, right, um, right. I, but I went, you know, I went to parties with him as well. I mean, you know, his parents, they had a lovely house on a road called, if you've been to Liverpool, Queen's Drive. Right, yes. And, um, you know, I, I knew Brian's brother, Clive, and his wife, Barbara, and so I used to go there. I don't mean every week or every month, sure. but, you know, at the odd party, I went there. So there was another side to Brian, a social side, with me. But it was a different ball game in the office. Right. Were right. you like Brian's beard in a way, or just... No. No, okay. No. <laughs> it's, well, it is a question to ask. Sure. No, I, sure. I, I know where you're coming from. I was probably a few others, but I wasn't his. <laughs> <laughs> Frieda, um, one of the things I saw, they, there was an article, there was several articles written about you in the papers. First of all, how did it feel to be written about in the papers? So, in the beginning? Yeah, you were written about as the fan club secretary. I mean, that must have been kind of cool. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, well, naturally, um, part of it, Epi, say to me, you know, you, 
Fan magazine is coming in and I want you to do help them out and because he said so I would do it you know and uh, so I didn't mind that but I didn't go around town like well, you did have articles written about you. Matter of fact, the article that they show in the in the movie, the last line of the article says she's also a keen fan. And my question for you is, as a fan, what are some of your favorite Beatles records? Um, people ask me like, what's your favorite Beatles record or something like that. Honest to God, I haven't got one. Well, what we do here is we say I our love... favorite as of right now. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you going to play for me? Uh, well, we might play, uh, you know, Hard Day's Night or something. Well, actually, you know what? <laughs> hang on, hang on here. <laughs> Whatever one you play for me, I know I will like it. Oh, that is, that is so ever the diplomat. <laughs> oh, she's good. See, she's she knows good. Paul and Ringo are listening. <laughs> there you go. So, no, yeah, um, right. so I have a question, because we don't have too much time left, and I want to get to a couple of things. Tony alluded to it. How did you feel going on that bus for Magical Mystery Tour? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that says it all. It, but I didn't want to be on camera because I know it's quite hard to believe listening to me now and what's going on in my life now. But I was quite shy. Well, not shy, but reserved. You yeah. know, it took me a while to things out and everything. And I, no way did I want to be on camera. So I dived to the back of the bus. <laughs> but you're not seen at the back. And I didn't want to be near the others because I thought the camera would be on them all the time. But, you know, you're dealing with Paul, aren't you? And of course he knew what it was like, so he wasn't having it. So he kept <laughs> saying, come on, where are you feeling? And I'd go, I'm, I'm fine, I'm back here, you know, get up. And I went, no, no, I'm fine. And eventually it was, you know, he got quite stroppy. He went, I want you up at the front. And I went, oh, all right then. And then he put me um, behind, well, at one shot, I was next to Richie, and George and John were on the other side of me. And I thought, oh, I'm not a happy bunny on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the end, he decided to put Richie in front of me because the lady next to him was going to be his aunt, and it was his day out, you know, it was a day out with him and his aunt. Right, right, right. He then made sure I sat behind Ringo. So when the camera's on, Ringo would be on me as well. But little did he know, I decided then, I was next to a guy called Magic Alex. Oh, yes. Good old Magic Alex, too. (laughs) And I said to Alex, do us a favor, can I swap seats with you? Because you know what? I like looking out the window. (laughs) 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 So I got behind uh, the lady that played uh, with his aunt. And then uh, Alex was got behind Ringo. So every time the camera was on Ringo, it went, Alex got lumbered. (laughs) Yeah, you had had no problem not being seen behind (laughs) Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) I was hiding behind (laughs) Jesse. Now, a couple of last couple of things um, I want to get to. The Paul is dead rumor which started around you know in america here how did you handle it over there people must have written to you about it well i handled it very well in the beginning and then the novelty wore off and uh i was trying my best to explain and you know you get to a certain point with kids and they just won't believe it because they want to believe that Right. Got to the point where I'd say, you know, I actually talked to his father last night and Paul was home two days ago and they go, no, but we know he's dead. And I went, all right, okay, well, if you want to believe that, fine. But, you know, others said, well, <laughs> I know I shouldn't be owning up to this, but, you know, <laughs> you know the phone wasn't stopping. And right. he can't work when the phone's just ringing constantly. So I used to just pick the phone up and put it down. 
Really? <laughs> wow. That was you who hung up on me. <laughs> Little Mitchie calling. Little Mitchie calling saying, Paul is gone and you hung up on me. Come on. <laughs> Now, I went through therapy for that. <laughs> no. Well, I was nearly going through therapy for it. I'm sure imagine. you did. I can't even oh imagine. Oh, my God. The last thing we want to talk to you about is is how did you handle, you know, in the film you do say that it was very fun in the beginning and in the end not so much. Yeah. You know, you, you knew they were breaking up. You knew things were at least leading to that. And to your credit, you kept the fan club going for Two years after. And also to your credit too, Frida, it seems as though the lads all seem to stay close to you. I mean, it's implied in the film that you were so kind of neutral and you had been there with them, I guess, from the beginning. Yeah. I just wanted to just bring that up. It's just a credit to you. But anyway. Yeah. And then you, you knew they were breaking up. And how did you feel personally? And then how did you have to spread the word? Well, you know, as you say, it was quite difficult to last two weeks, uh, sorry, two years. And, you know, I don't know where they got the footage from, you know, about me, where I'm saying the closeness is gone. Yeah. That was the truth, you know. Um, and I, I won't lie, you know, the camera was just on me and they said, what's happening here? Yeah. It's hard. It was just when we were, we were adults now. We weren't kids anymore or teenagers larking about and, what, you know, they wanted fame and I wanted fame for them. They got the fame and everything and, you know, they wanted other things and I wanted other things because, you know, I was married then and I had my son and wanted more children and and then I thought, you know, this is really difficult and, you know, the timing is right. Now, I didn't do it on purpose or anything, but the, no, the timing was really right you know it was the end of the, the fan club year and a new year would be starting and everything and I thought oh I'm going to tell them I'm leaving because I used to go to Apple on a regular basis I used to go about every six weeks you know and um, I thought right I'm going to tell them that uh, I'm pregnant and I'm going to leave when I'm six months and my six months is uh, the end of March but I was quite surprised when um, you know George said no and I, I did try and carry it on. I did, because I said to them, you know, there's girls in the office that can carry it on. They know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, they're, they're good and everything. But George decided, no, Peter, you were there in the beginning. You were there at the end. Yeah. And afterwards, when he said that, I wanted to cry. Yeah, so did we <laughs> watching the film, watch believe me. Oh, isn't that lovely, you know? It was very touchy because you didn't expect George to be no, that way. I, not, I, not that it was a bad way, but it was we, just... We carry on and, and they wish me best of luck, you know, hope you, you and your baby are safe and goodbye, you know. But, you know, no. Yeah. But I did, and it's true what I say in the film. You know, I brought the mail home with me because just because I'm leaving, there's a load of mail. So I took it home and I did get through it, but it took me two years to get through all those letters. Wow, wow. And there's still a few wow. up in the loft. <laughs> I, I, yeah, there's that one that I sent Frida. I still haven't gotten anything. I'm kidding. He I'm didn't sorry. get the fan club <laughs> record from 1970. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Little handout photograph. You know, one comment, Frida, and then a, a question or a thought. Comment being that one of the things that after seeing the film I was saying to Mitch is that you brought such a, a humanity. The film brings such, and you, and you could see throughout your career with them, you brought such humanity oh. uh, to this thing, this phenomena. This and before you have me in tears, I've got, <laughs> to, I've got to 
posh Mikael's look for tonight. <laughs> well, well did, one last thought, very quickly. You've probably seen millions of books over the years on the Beatles and millions of films. I mean, if a young fan, uh, other than to see good old Frida, is there a book or something that you say when you've read or seen, yes, that's really what it was like? Well, I didn't really read those books. I flicked it you know, right. through Shout and Hunter sure. um, Davis and uh, Philip Norman's Phil, book Norman. and everything. But, right. Right. You know, the book will be coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, we will. We're good we're, buddies with Mark Lewison. Yes, yeah. I, you know, I I can't wait for that book to come yeah, out. Oh, I think good to there's hear. four of us who can't wait for it <laughs> in this room. In October. Yes. I, I saw him at the Beatle Weekend. I always do the Beatle Weekend, and I had a conversation with him. And he said October. Yeah, Frida, um, one of the things in the last couple of years, uh, part of it leading up to this movie, is the fact that you've showed up at fan fests like uh, the Fest for Beatle fans. And I've seen you at a couple of these, and you embraced the crowd, and the crowd embraced you. How has that made you feel all these years? I mean, you sort of hid away from it for a long time. And I saw you taking pictures where people were hugging you. You were hugging people. It was just a, this little moment I saw. Yeah. People were just grabbing you and hugging you, take a picture. It was just a great embrace yeah. of fandom. But and, it, it, you know what? Because I've kept away for, for so long, and now I'm, we say, jump back in the pool. I am enjoying it, and... They are nice, you know, Beatles people are nice people to be involved with, and I wouldn't be rude to any of them, you know, um, I just think it's nice that they want to speak to me. Well, you, well, again, bringing it all back around because you're a fan just like they are. Yeah. Right. And I have to tell you, I, I know you've got to go soon, so we, we want to wrap it up. But oh, one more thing, on. we got to mention this. Go ahead, Rob. John Lennon fired you. The other three Beatles said you're not fired. And what did they make John do to you? It's a great, it's a great story. And well, you got to leave them wanting something, Rob. Right, okay, movie. but it's, it's you'll have to watch the film and find out. There you go. Perfect. 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 And let me let me also say, a little birdie has told me we haven't really mentioned the name Mal Evans, and I think a little birdie did tell me that maybe there might be some extras on the DVD where you might mention Mal. You no, know, what happened with I. You know, in a certain part of the picture, I was very tired. It was about half two in the morning. And, you know, none of this was rehearsed. It was just, put that mic on and let's start talking, um, yeah. which I did. You know, I'm Irish, so I can talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> but well, then I started thinking of everybody that had gone. And I got to a certain point and I just couldn't speak anymore. Yeah. And it, I didn't do it intentionally, not leave Mal out or Alistair Taylor out. or There's quite a few others. But I just lost the plot at that time and but of course I knew Mal and I loved right. Mal and you know Mal was there from right from the beginning so was Alistair you know I saw them over the years and Neil uh, well I, I did mention Neil you yes know, you did yeah so are we gonna uh, are there any talks with them during the uh, DVD that will come out and we'll ask somebody else we you know they've got so many stories the film crew, and it's up to them which ones they put in in the DVD. Oh, okay. okay great. I'm hoping that they will put in one of the stories about jukebox jewelry. Oh, great. So one about George and I. Ah, <laughs> sh don't tell, don't tell. We got to leave them wanting something, right? I'm not telling. I'm going. I've got to jump in the Yo. shower. All right, so we are going to say thank you so much to Frida Kelly and to 
Kathy and Jess and Ryan for allowing us this time. Frida, we are very privileged to have had you on the show. We really do appreciate it. Good old Frida. People, go see it. In a moment, you'll hear Kathy McCabe tell you everywhere you can see or rent this film. It is highly recommended by the Fab Four Free For All and by a lot of other people as well, you so bet. we've read. So please, thank I'm you so much. I'm just going to jump in here now, boys, and say... Goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Mitch. And goodbye, Tony. And thank you for the interview. Thank and you. goodbye, thank you, Frida. Frida. Thank you so much. Bye. Take Bye-bye. care. And for those of you who would like to see or rent uh, good old Frida. Which should be all of you. Which should be all of you. <laughs> we have producer Kathy McCabe with us right now, and she's going to tell you all the details. Kathy? Oh, yes. We have a lot of details for you. Um, many ways you can see good old Frida. First of all, in your theaters, and if you want to find out where it's playing, you can check the Good Old Frida website, and we keep a daily update on where it's playing right on the homepage of the website. And And also, Magnolia Pictures uh, has a website, and you can go on there and see where it's playing as well. So that's in theaters, and if it's not your theater, you can call your independent theater and say, hey... We want it to show, and they will call Magnolia about setting up a screening if there's some demand for it. So, so don't give up if it's not in your theater. Kathy, you know, I want to also say that uh, good old Frida, we need to spell it out for the website. It's good old Frida, O-L, with no apostrophe, no D. Right, so G-O-O-D-O-L-F-R-E-D-A dot com. You got it. Great, great. How else can we see the movie? It's on iTunes, and we're proud to say that on its first day of uh, release, it went to number two in iTunes documentaries. Wow. Very good. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. That sure is. Just on iTunes, and look for the good old Frida icon, and you'll be able to watch it. I think it's six ninety nine. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a good place. And also, video on demand. And on our, I believe it's our Facebook page, there's a little icon that says where to watch. Good if old you want to see it on video on demand, if you click on that icon, it'll tell you all the different VOD sites where you can see it. Fantastic. And didn't, didn't it just win an award as well at a festival? Yeah, we've actually three times now won the audience award for... Best documentary feature. So that's quite a feat because there's so many films playing. <laughs> yes, it is. That's great. I mean, it's getting a, a, amazing reviews initially, and uh, I really want everybody to go out and see it because it's really well worth seeing. Right. And also, the DVD is coming out on December 3rd. Wow. And I know a lot of our fans and listeners are Kickstarter fundraisers as well. Oh. So they yes, get. Um, the Kickstarter people, we just want to send out a huge thank you to all of them. We had nearly 700 Kickstarter wow. backers, and they will be the very first people to get the DVD. They're going to receive it before December 3rd, before the general population can buy it. That's that was me. our promise to them, and we got a little bit delayed when we got the distribution deal with Magnolia Pictures, but that's such a good thing that um, the backers have been really patient 
with saying that's all right. This is really good for the film, really good for Frida. So hey, I'm one of those backers, and I can't wait. So it's going to be great. <laughs> well, make sure you get it. But ah, um, without them, this film would not have happened. That's great. And no, I guess you also want to say a little uh, thank you to the good folks at Apple as well, right? <laughs> Apple Core. Yes. Uh, yes. I think with Apple Core, that's a total testament to Frida and the regard in which they hold her because we were able to get in the door because of Frida, which is not something that usually happens with filmmakers. True. And I believe we're the, the first independent documentary to ever have Beatles music in it. That's great. That's uh, a, a testament to your, your persistence as well. So. Oh, no, this is all Frida. <laughs> oh, believe me, we know. But, I mean, you know, it takes a lot of people to make it happen. And, obviously... Frida gets you in the door because uh, she is who she is, and thank goodness. Mm -hmm. But also it takes a lot of other people as well. So we, we as uh, fans of the movie, definitely say thank you to you and Ryan and Jessica Lawson and everybody else who made this film possible. Oh, you're welcome. That's wonderful. Thank you. It's, uh, we're, we're very blessed with the reception it's been getting. We're astonished, actually. It's, all the reviews are amazing, and the audience... Uh, reaction has been amazing and far more than what we ever dreamed so we're just so happy i can't tell you how happy we are that's great news all yeah. right so hopefully all of you will go out and rent or see good old frida because it's well worth it thank you very much kathy you're welcome so this has been a really cool episode having Frida on. We really do. She was a lot of fun. Absolutely. A lot of fun, and uh, we really do hope you go out and see it. So, uh, as Kathy said, you can see it in all those places. So please go out and see this film. It really is worth it. So for Fab Four Free for All, uh, I have been your moderator, Mitch Axelrod, for this special show. And joining me are two special people. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you meant me, <laughs> Tony Trigorno, and. He met me too. I definitely well, met you because you're thanks. both special to me. And, I, and I'm I'm Rob Leonard. And you are all special to us. Aww. So on. This is such a love fest. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Take care. Fab Four Free for All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate. Available on its debut album, Digital Retro, and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free-For-All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free-For-All. Can I hear each individual voice, please? Hi, this is Rob. Okay, Rob, you're a little low. Okay, I'll raise me a little bit. Mitchell? Hey, Kathy, how you doing? Hi. Hi, Mitch. Uh Am I good? Uh, maybe a little louder, please. Hi, Kathy! No, sorry. <laughs> okay. That What's was good. The old Abbott and Costello, a little higher. A little higher. Oh, my body. <laughs> sorry. Okay, okay now, keep in mind, my voice and Frida's are quite different. Oh, stop it. <laughs> very soft-spoken. I doubt that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we, we we haven't seen the film, so we... No, no. <laughs> sure. We're winging it. No, we've seen it. Right. Uh, hang up. <laughs> that, that was, was a quick interview. That was very good. We almost had Frida. <laughs> we, good old Kathy. Good old Kathy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we like to have a little bit of fun, Kathy. No way. We tried. Well, Not yeah. allowed. Okay, Lord knows. Well. <laughs>
I think that went really well. That went really well. I thought yeah. that went very well. She only, was good. The only Great. story we, the, the only you line we didn't leave. use. I know you got, you can't have her do the movie on us. Yeah, because she's got right this way. But, but the the lie that she didn't mention that she mentioned in the film was 